You are listening to Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, The Art of Respect series with co-host Dennis Michael Broussard. This series is brought to you by NextGen Incorporated. Quality custom products for safety and the future. The Art of Respect series is a journey diving into the unique practice of respect, how it relates to the environment, culture, and society. When we practice the art of respect together, we will thrive sustainably. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ninth episode of Building Sustainability, Art of Respect series. This is Pili Aloha Estal, and with me is co-host Dennis Michael Broussard. Hello, Dennis Michael. Hey, Pili Aloha. It's good to be back for another episode. I can't believe it's the ninth one already in this uh, educational and inspirational series of the Art of Respect. So hello to again to Pili Aloha, to our guests, and to all of our listeners. I absolutely loved that you brought on conservationist Sonam Tashi Lama on Saturday with a special edition for International Red Panda Day. I am completely in love with the red panda now. I know it's your favorite animal, but I think it's now mine and my daughter's as well. I watched the Red Panda Network's virtual event on Saturday, and the work and awareness they do for the red panda conservation is inspiring. It's motivating. I love the corridors and really the expansion of corridors is really important in conservation efforts globally. And I hope we can all go next year. <laughs> so uh, my daughter wants to adopt every red panda she sees now for sure. Yeah, I'm not one to say stuff like, oh my God, that's so cute. But I can't help but do that when I see a red panda and uh, our San Diego Zoo is a partner and supports the efforts of the Red Panda Network. So I went there last Saturday just to visit my buddy, the Red Panda, over there in honor of International Red Panda Day. And Sanam, he's a friend of mine. As we touched on the last episode with him, he's the one who was instrumental in taking me around in the very rural and far distant uh, parts of eastern Nepal to visit all the schools that we were dropping off the educational and teaching supplies to. Uh, his work is admirable and his life's commitment to conservationism and protecting red pandas is uh, it's inspirational. And last week, we also had a very extraordinary guest who you also invited on, Dennis Michael, a Japanese-American actor, filmmaker, and playwright and poet, Lane Nishikawa. And I'm really excited to see his series. I have it in my queue for I'm on a Mission from Buddha. I cannot wait to watch that series. I know that's a solo series as well as his films, Only the Brave and his most recent documentary. I know you've seen Our Lost Years just released February of 2020. Uh, yeah, Our Lost Years. I feel everyone should uh, should should watch it's in its entirety or just even bits of it. It's, it's uh, an account interviewing people who survived or went through a Japanese internment. Uh, I'm glad we had Lane on. And uh, his work is important and continuing to share the stories and the history of the Japanese Americans uh, who fought in the war for the U.S. and uh, those who stayed in the U.S. and suffered through the internment. Though what I was just talking about what our lost years is about. You know, it's, it's kind of a dark part of American history, but it's still our history. And we shouldn't forget both the contributions of those who fought for the U.S. And neither should we forget the atrocities that we did to our own Japanese-American citizens. Uh, you know, so that we don't ever repeat anything like that. And, and today we have another great guest with an incredible mission, right? And I agree with you. There's some things that are hard to bring up and there's topics that are hard to 
discuss as well as our guests today and sensitive subjects and subjects that are sometimes hard to wrap our hands around make it I feel just as important to talk about it and to find out what we can do to move causes forward and work together collaboratively. And today, I know we are so honored, Dennis Michael, to have with us today Bernard R. Mauricia. He is CEO of Oncology and Kids, Oak. It's a 501c3 nonprofit focused on providing quality of life support programs for children battling cancer and their siblings. He helped co-found the group in 2020 with his colleagues, Robbie Mendina and Brian Bonert. Prior to co-founding Oncology and Kids, he served as the CEO of the Shawnee Foundation, where he oversaw all development activities for the foundation while increasing its exposure and standing throughout the region. His work is focused on childhood cancer, consisted of an oversight of corporate partnerships and volunteer resources. His focus before was on corporate partnerships and volunteer resources for the American Cancer Society in San Diego. He was responsible for securing over $1 million annually in contributions through sponsorship, cause marketing, team fundraising, employee, and corporate giving. He also developed and maintained four community leadership councils, San Diego, Imperial, Inland Empire, and Palm Desert. He also served as regional building volunteer capacity subject expert, increasing overall volunteer base to 82,390 volunteers and the border Sierra and Orange County regions. Prior to this, he was the statewide program director for the California Council on Economic Education, working with 1,000 plus K through 12 school districts to implement teacher training in economic education, which is very important. And Bernard is extremely active in his community. He serves on boards such as Project New Village, San Diego Center for Economic Education, and San Diego Professionals Against Cancer. Wow, that's an amazing background. Welcome, Bernard. How are you? Welcome, Bernard. Billy Aloha and, and uh, uh, Dennis Michael, thank you all for, for having me on. And uh, uh, man, I got to shorten up that, <laughs> that intro. It's, it's good for our listeners to have the background and, and what you've done and where you've been. And, and we've talked about it with some other podcast episodes where your background is diverse. And I do think the economic education is really important for for children and anything we do and the philanthropy efforts. And and so I'm glad you shared it with me. So thank you and shared it with Dennis Michael and I. Well, pre, uh, we appreciate the time and, and being able to bring this awareness to what we do in oncology and kids. So it's it's always great to um, to really bring new people into the Oak family and into the fold. So, uh, um, you know, welcome, welcome to the family. You're going to be a big piece of, of watching this whole uh, movement grow. So we can't thank you enough. Oh, we're so excited. So maybe to start off with Bernard, if you can share with us and our listeners some additional background of how you started working for cancer organizations and programs and services for youth. Uh, yeah, that's uh, actually my colleague, Robbie uh, Medina, who I've known since high school. So he's actually an osteosarcoma survivor. Uh, we went to high school together here in San Diego at Mira Mesa High School. Uh, so while we were in high school playing baseball together is when he was diagnosed. Um, years later, we reconnected after after high school and college, and he got me involved um, with the American Cancer Society, originally working on the Relay for Life side, uh, but actually brought me in as a sibling camp counselor. And that is where I just fell in love with this idea of the camp reach for the sky and what was going on within childhood cancer and the 
acknowledgement and understanding that I didn't, you know, here I'd known someone for so many years yet had no idea that they, what their struggle was and what their journey was going through this diagnosis and, um, and seeing sort of what programs existed. And then from my family, uh, my family's had a lot of different types of cancer diagnoses, um, aunts, uncles, uh, good friends, uh, dear family members. So it's, it's something that um, is always difficult for people to really sort of dive in and discuss. But, you know, like you mentioned before, it's um, when you're dealing with cancer, there are a lot of difficult conversations and we have to be able to jump into them because um, they're Im- critically important to, to have. In similar background, Bernard, my family in Tahiti and they, because of Mototoa, they're still going through the ramifications of nuclear bombing and the cancer rates are really, really high. And those are conversations I'm actually trying to figure out if I want to do a whole podcast series on it because it's really hard to see. But as far as childhood cancer, my cousin is a survivor, but his sister actually attended your camp. So once we connected and being able to see that impact and and knowing the impact it had on her, and we'll talk a little bit later about mental health and, and what that looks like for children and their families going through childhood cancer. And for me, once I got involved with childhood cancer awareness and understanding that it is the number one illness in children, it is also the, well, I guess it's only 4% national uh, federal funding for childhood cancer research. And that number is really hard for people to hear. And once they learn that, people start to want to really wrap their hands around it. And in this day and age, we have to just figure out what can we do. There is a belief too, because childhood cancer is not a traditional environmental impact. It is typically either genetic or, you know, there's still a lot of research to be done, but there is a belief that if you find a cure for pediatric cancer, we can find a cure for adult cancer. Yeah. And I think you hit, you know, some points right on the head when it comes to pediatric cancer, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of time and resources spent on research, which we are obviously very big advocates of research and science. Um, but at the same time, quality of life is really what we handle. Uh, you know, we handle yeah. the emotional toll that cancer takes on a child. And from there, the concentric circles of influence that it has on their parents, grandparents, community members, um, there's no guidebook for it. So to be a kid trying to wrap your head around, you know, this new reality and this new idea of normalcy, um, that's difficult. And so it takes programs and and groups like this that allow kids to just be kids again for a little bit and to take uh, the weight of the world off their shoulders for uh, a few minutes and allow them to truly be uh, supported by their peers and have true quality of life. And I was learning about your programs and the extension of your programs throughout and and beyond. And that was what's so impactful because I know cancer hit my family circle and it really changed our entire family unit and what that meant, especially for a youth going through it. And it's still ongoing. So I commend you on all the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. It uh, means a lot. And when we see these kids really thrive, um, regardless of... Uh, you know, what the outcomes are of, of um, being able to buy as much time as we can, but also understanding, you know, both from the patient side and the sibling side, um, giving them the tools um, in order for them to, to take that next step forward and just feel more confident in what, the, what it is that they'd like to do, to do and accomplish um, as they're going through it. Um, it just, it means the world to us. Yeah, that sounds all really important, and especially with, uh, a child who might be confused about what's going on in their life or unsure if they're going to have a life. So these are the things 
that you do in, in Oak and in oncology and kids. You talked about having a buddy that was affected by cancer, even family. I mean, it's definitely tough on the person with cancer, but it's got to be tough on people who are close to that person, too. And with the creation of Oak, coming from the American Cancer Society and all the other work that you've done, give us a little bit more detail about where did it come from? What was the inspiration for it? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And so this program, the Camp Reach for the Sky, which is obviously a free camp program for kids battling cancer and their siblings, um, was started in 1983. So originally under the American Cancer Society umbrella. Um, and about seven years ago, um, they made a, a switch and just overall sort of strategies and put more focus on adult oncology. So a group called the Shawnee Foundation had come in. Um, they had lost their son, Sean, to Ewing sarcoma. So they came in to take over the camps. For their, originally, there were 54 camps nationally. Um, the Shawnee Foundation came in and took over the six California camps. And Oncology and Kids has, had always been sort of on the on the back burner. It actually was a group that we were looking at starting when the Cancer Society originally decided to drop the camps. Um, so it was a group of volunteers who were originally going to put that whole 501c3 together. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to have a, a family foundation come in and sort of help be that middle sort of period in between until we were able to take it over um, ourselves, which happened at the end of 2019. So 2020 has really been, you know, the, the rebirth and the, and the start of this new um, really sort of volunteer driven community backed and community built organization, which is oncology and kids. And our goal is to put, this in the kids' hands, you know, a lot of times adults get in the way. So it's, it's finding a way to, to put kids <laughs> in the position where they realize, Hey, this is, this is yours. What do you, we can help set up the structure, the foundation, the, uh, the operational backend stuff, but what do the kids want to see? So we've really seen our kids come out of their shells and thrive within this idea. The junior council that we have uh, has come up with a lot of ideas um, to really push forward based on what they're seeing. So our vision has really sort of, it's on a regular basis, looking at what our kids want to see and what they want to accomplish and putting those pieces together uh, to see it through to fruition. And that part we truly love. Um, it's the way it should be. That's amazing. And I, I should have had you on the youth indicator series, because that's the premise behind youth indicators is the youth are key indicators of how we're doing as a society. And they really do have a voice. And sometimes adults, we do kind of mess it up. <laughs> or, or... Yeah, within, within pediatric cancer. I mean, if you think about it, look, most times when you get a cancer diagnosis, other people are really having to make the decisions for you. And so it's especially true and relevant when it comes to childhood cancer. Uh, the kids aren't the ones who are able to make the decisions. It's usually their parents. And those are, those are very big decisions that parents are having to make. I mean, life and death decisions, which no one has a tool set of how to figure out how to do that. You're trying to go based on the information that you're given and trying to you know, keep your head afloat as you're trying to save your child's life and then trying to figure out what you're doing with your overall family structure. So to be able to have quality of life programs like this that solely focus on the kids where they're solely the all-stars and it's all about them, it allows them to truly uh, feel more conviction in the voice that they build and grow into and to feel more comfortable in knowing that they're setting the groundwork for future generations to come. And I agree with you because we talked about it a little bit before, Bernard, and 
well, mental health and general awareness is so critical right now in all avenues, but youth mental health awareness and giving youth a voice, but also really looking at their mental health for the current situation and going forward. The wonderful thing about childhood cancer is the survival rate has really gone up. It was at about 35%. Now it's at 75%. Even though it's the number one illness in children, their survival rate is increasing. But if we're not paying attention to their mental health and how they're dealing with the survival, then we're still failing as an ability to give them the tools and the ability to grow through it. Because the ramifications of childhood cancer continues through the whole life. So if they can have something like Oak to stand with, to work with, to be a part of, and we were talking about the junior council is amazing. I mean, you're giving these tools, these hands-on experiences for children to learn, to grow, to collaborate, and then take it and throw it as far as they can. And then also grow awareness while trying to find a cure for cancer, because that's all they want to do for their fellow colleagues and their friends. So it's a beautiful, beautiful idea. And it's a way to really introspect into how we look at our systems and and what that looks like. You can deal with the situation at hand, but you have to look at the whole big picture. And the big picture is collaboration and then also really paying attention to the youth. So what I was hoping maybe you could do is talk a little bit more detail about some of the programs and services. You have a lot, you have a lot coming up. So we're going to have to probably have you up on a follow-up too, but can you maybe talk about some of the programs and services Oak offers and maybe also how they've changed through this current climate and pandemic? Yeah. So right now our current suite of programs consists of a resident oncology camp, which is affectionately known as ROC. Uh, so those are kids between the ages of eight and 17 who are in active treatment or in remission. Then we have a sibling camp. It's solely for the siblings, uh, same age range, eight to 17. Um, now you may have some siblings who may be bereaved as well. Um, and then you've got a day camp for our young kids, four to eight years old. That's a combination of kids in treatment, in remission. They may be siblings. They may be bereaved as well. And then we have three weekend camps, uh, which are a, a teen weekend in which we focus with our junior level kids, sort of the 13 to 17 year old range on leadership skills, leadership development, um, sort of aspirational goals that they've got. And then we try and go kick the door down uh, to help them sort of pursue those goals. We've got a family camp, which is for kids that have a parent that's in active treatment. And then we have our Ryan Strong bereavement camp, which is for families that have lost uh, a child or a parent to cancer. This year, really the biggest change um, was the fact that we had to take all what usually would be our physical camps, both the week longs and the weekend ones and combine them into virtual sessions, Um, which is a monumental task, especially (laughs) when you're talking about folks who don't have a a background in technology. So we had to do a crash course on how to do zoom sessions and how to conceptualize, how are we going to make this work? But the great thing about having something that's so community built is Look, we're only, you know, there's two of us staff, three co-founders there, but we run deep on about 200 plus volunteers. And these volunteers have so many different skill sets that that's what we lean on. So our volunteer leadership allowed us the ability to build out, you know, full week-long virtual sessions with pre-recorded video tied in with, uh, with live Zoom sessions that took all the best pieces of what the kids would usually do at the physical camp and do it in an online setting. And I mean, you're talking, we did an online dance. So we did a we did a baseball <laughs> lunch. We did a food wheel. We did a football lunch. We did cabin time for all the kids, broken up into their different age ranges. Wow. Um, so it was it was our best effort of 
taking the magic that the kids usually see every single year and giving them something that they could still depend on and know that they were still going to see their friends, still going to feel that peer support and feel the love that they get when they come to Camp Reach for the Sky. And I think that's what Oncology and Kids is here to do is to, regardless of what the constraints are, how do you find a way to still make it work? Is cancer still there? How do we make sure that, that we still keep chipping away? In this current climate, hands-on, doing the camp in person is not going to change the setting of virtual, but being able to learn that skill set, like you said, like most of us is just trying to learn a new environment is going forward, then looking at some hybrid opportunities, then sometimes allows you to reach more people in the long run. We have short-term needs, long-term needs, but I do believe, and this is my positive side of myself, when we combine the two, we can really do greater impact in the long run. We have to take that and then mold to it and then take it forward. So hopefully going forward, you'll be able to do some hybrids for next year. And then we can talk a little bit more about the camps, but is there camps only in the summer? When do you have them? Throughout the year, our main week-long sessions are during the summer, and then the weekend sessions um, are usually spaced out, some in the fall and the winter. Um, And so what online camp allowed us to do, the virtual camp allowed us to do, is now we're actually setting up plans for later this year, as well as mapping out next year to do little modified weekend versions of camp reach for the sky so you know maybe it's it's going in having a a campfire on friday where the kids camp out in their homes in their living rooms and then saturday we do some pre-recorded video and some activities in the evening with live zoom sessions sunday we do a breakfast and so it's forced us to really to pivot and to make decisions based on well this might be a, a good hybrid model for us to uh to just put out there so that we're about the connectivity how do we how do we provide more Uh, opportunities for the kids to connect um, outside of school, outside of home, outside of the hospital, outside of all the other stresses where when they come in here, it's just a safe space where they can be their best version of themselves. And so that's where we are right now of actually, we're going to end up doing more programs and having more growth because even with this year's virtual camps, we ended up being in hospitals in Mexico and Canada and numerous mm-hmm. states throughout the nation, which, you know, I don't, I can't say that we necessarily expected, but it allowed us the opportunity to, to be uh, much more broad based and bring new people into the fold that usually would not have been able to come out to San Diego and come to the physical camp, but this allowed them the opportunity to do it. I was going to ask if, if, uh, you know, shifting or pivoting, adopting to kind of doing things virtually, if that did, in fact, increase your your presence or the awareness of Oak and have programs that included kids from other parts of the country, other countries. And, and that's incredible that that is actually a result of it in this kind of world where we're learning to adopt and adapt. I mean, that's what these kids with this disease have to do through their whole life is adopt and adapt. And this is just another hurdle for them. There are positives, there are advantages, there are benefits that can come out of challenges like this. And I think being exposed to kids worldwide is that's an incredible, maybe unexpected, incredible result. Agreed. Yeah, it is definitely something new that and that's where we think, you know, we're, we're thankful in the fact that we have such a deep rooted volunteer staff of medical staff, as well as clinical psychologists. I mean, really, we, the whole envelope of, of volunteers that we have covers so many different aspects. So we're able now to really put everyone in their, um, in their subject expertise roles as it pertains to online things. And, you know, as we 
speak right now, we're developing what that next level of programming is going to be moving forward for the next three years. And there's going to be a very big um, increase in us reaching out to a lot of other hospitals that are completely national that allows them the ability to say, hey, look, if you don't have anything else going on, at the very least, let the kids come and join in on this. This will give them a feeling of what's going on within these settings. And then um, when we're able to get more into the, the physical um, camp sessions, again, they may look at it as a, as a true opportunity of something that they can get involved in on a, on a year-to-year basis. Since the Shawnee Foundation and the American Cancer Society had all these camps nationally, and then you guys broke off and did the California camps, what is going on nationally? And are there other states doing the same camp still? How does that work? Or is this something where not all the states kept their programs going? Are you able to now in a virtual environment be able to reach out to more and then help develop programs? And for me, my family was so impacted by Oak and the work you guys do. It literally has changed the mental health of my family. How does that reach out nationally? And then how do you collaborate nationally with other groups? Have you guys talked about that? Yeah. So what we're, we're currently a part of the COCA, which is the Children's Oncology Camping Association. Um, So there's a group of camps that are run nationally that do their own camps specific to children's oncology. Um, Some that are tied to specific hospital systems, others that are not. Um, When ACS had, had shuttered some of the pediatric programs, we've kept in touch with a lot of the different camp locations that we knew of. So we've continued to keep that outreach going of, hey, how can we help out? You know, if you can find a way to get your kids, even when we do the physical camps, we tell folks, as long as you can get the kids here to San Diego, we'll t- we take care of everything else, like bus transportation, all the activities, all the food, everything. Like there's no cost and there shouldn't be. Um, and we've reached out to a couple um, airline partners to see if they'd be willing to fly kids in. So when we're able to get back into that realm, we may be able to have a different expansion on that. When it comes to virtual camp, now that the world is flat, as it pertains to, you know, online programming, um, it gives us a much better uh, sense of what we can do. So we've done a lot of outreach to child life specialists tied to all the different hospitals uh, that we've got connections to nationally and have given them all the information. And so the interest that has come back has been um, pretty good. So we're, we're fairly confident in the fact that running into programming that we'll put together at the end of this year and come beginning of next year, we're going to see a, a spike in the overall number of people that are registering to actually get involved. And it'll be great to have new families come in and be able to then sync them up with families who have been in our system for a few years. It's almost a almost a family mentor approach. Um, and the hospital systems that we're working with are now doing their due diligence. And, you know, we work so closely with groups like Rady Children's and with uh, Naval Medical and Kaiser and, and Chalk in Orange County. Um, you know, we're instantly vetted from the onset. So there's that ability for, for them to do their research and understand that we've been doing this programming for a long time. We come with our own specific sets of subject expertise mm-hmm. and it's what we do. And and it's what we'll continue to do. And then they're able to see it as an ancillary benefit to what they're doing within the hospital walls of, of treatment. Um, we're, we're sort of that ancillary benefit group that allows them to, um, to help people outside of the hospital system. So are you able to mentor other groups who might have lost that camp? Let's say you're in the middle of Michigan and they lost that ACR camp and people might not have 
had such an active participation like the Shawnee Foundation and Oak, are you guys able to mentor and help spearhead those camps? Yeah, we do a lot of that actually. Robbie, Robbie is really sort of the um, the spearhead on that because his years of experience, both as a former camper and then as a person who looked over all the pediatric programs while we were at the Cancer Society, he is the sort of go-to person that most new camps will go to to ask, hey, you know, what should we do here? How did you guys set up these operations and these programs? So he's sort of a person that uh, a lot of different entities throughout the nation will go to to ask for advice and help as to how they should build their things out. So that's great in the fact that we already have that in-house within oncology and kids of like a person who is who is trusted within these realms um, to answer those questions and to be able to give people strategies and and foundational elements as to how to set them up um, that's that's a big deal within within our overall subject expertise that's amazing that's amazing that you guys provide that thank you to be um, where you are and to be established as you are to be looked at from even increasingly national organizations to be given this trust, right? To be given the trust to help with the mental health, with the happiness of these kids. There's a, it's a lot of respect that's given to you and your organization and your mission. And in going along with the theme of this series, uh, the Art of Respect series, what's your opinion of respect in today's society in context of pediatric cancer awareness and support? And just in your industry and, and in your work overall. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a it's a great angle and vantage point to look at it from because when we look at the art of respect as it pertains to childhood cancer, especially thinking about what we deal with on a regular basis in terms of the emotional trauma and the mental health aspect, it's that it's. Um, a lot of times we'll be quick to sort of pass judgment on certain things, not understanding what, what an individual is actually going through. And we have to have a lot more deeper conversations, especially as it pertains to anyone who's been diagnosed with cancer, of what their day-to-day struggles are, what the constraints are within um, the systems that they're sort of in, in terms of uh, healthcare, uh, community awareness, uh, things that they want to actually get off their uh, chest and discuss, but aren't really comfortable doing. It. And communities who simply aren't ready to jump into those deep and difficult conversations. It's much easier to just sort of pass over it and, you know, a very topical basic check in of, oh, you know, how's, how, are you okay? And then almost sort of inevitably moving right past it and, and going on to the next thing because you don't want to find yourself vulnerable in diving too deep into something that you feel will, you know, someone, you may not be able to feel comfortable in, in what your response would be, but we have to get past those, those stages. I mean, these are real problems happening on a daily basis and we have to be able to see them, acknowledge them, respect the fact that these people are going through them and, be a sounding board and be someone who can truly be a friend. Um, I don't think that most families that are, that have been diagnosed with a child of cancer diagnosis are asking for much. And quite honestly, they don't know what to ask for. Um, so sometimes even when we're just looking at trying to help, we're not actually, we're not listening as much as to what their, what the nonverbal cues are and what the things are that they're truly saying like, boy, I just, I just need a little break. I need to not have the weight of the world on my shoulders because I don't know what to do. And I think as a society and as community members, if we can do a better job of respecting the fact that when you find out someone's been diagnosed with cancer, um, 
to just be there and to respect their opinions and their ideas on the things that they're, that they're experiencing and not to try and inflect sort of, you know, what your experience is like just being able to listen to them and allow them the opportunity to vent a little bit and to know that they can still count on you to consistently be there and to be their peer support network. Um, that's a game changer because it just allows people just that extra little minute to feel like themselves for a little bit, to feel heard and to feel like, okay, I can try and find a way now to, to see if I can make today a good day and maybe we can make tomorrow a good day. And can I put one, one foot in front of the next? That's an excellent response. And uh, I, th- I think that we can all benefit from listening to that kind of insight just to listen to somebody and not immediately prescribe what's based on your experience you know giving someone that what you say just that that ear sometimes that's all someone wants right Uh like dennis michael said you combine that listening and then provide them tool sets to be able to then take that and and move forward through it because you have to take a full holistic and dynamic approach to this. In the meantime, we have to pay attention to the mental health. And these things are real. I mean, these are things that uh, people don't usually sort of relate to when it comes to, you know, folks going through a, a, a cancer diagnosis and especially childhood cancer. But, you know, there the studies have been shown in terms of the overall increase of uh, PTSS and PTSD symptoms within parents. You see within siblings. Um, higher issues when it comes to um, suicide and depression ideations, things that, you know, people are dealing with on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, I think when it comes to mental health, we have to, we have to have a shift in a lot of the conversations and meet people where they're at. You know, that's, that's a big piece of it. We, we sort of base things on, Oh, well, everyone should be here and we should be talking at it from this level. Well, if I'm that individual and I'm the one who's struggling with it, I may not be there. I need you to meet me specifically where I'm at right now, because then I can sort of find a way to, um, to have some sort of comfort in knowing, okay, well, I feel, I feel comforted and I feel supported. And now I can try and take um, a movement in a direction that, that I'd like to go. I think your model is amazing because you're taking a youth voice and a current very immediate need and illness that is terrible as far as just the the care the needs the family unit and and i don't think we really have an idea of what that means for the family we all want to support and listen but you are providing tool sets for people to learn how to listen to listen to the family in need and listen to that family wanting to then be a part of the process because that's the thing they don't know and and if they don't have support systems then we can't allow it for the junior council do you mind just talking a little bit about that i just absolutely love the junior council i think it's so powerful and then i obviously wanted to talk about carly your youth counselor who sings the junior council that's just uh you know robbie and myself and brian you know and all of us as volunteers we're sort of like the proud parents because we we've watched a lot of these kids grow up through the system and to see them uh take a true um leadership role in giving us input as to what they want to see done and to provide ideas as to what they think would be beneficial to the kids who are coming in the next generation um that's just something that is truly special you don't see it all the time and i think our junior council is comprised of kids between the ages of 13 and probably 18 to 19 um and it's a a a broad swath of kids who are 
active patients or in remission, our siblings. Um, and we meet on a monthly basis and get together and brainstorm ideas. Right now, they've got a campaign that they've started for this last uh, week of September called Be Bold, Go Gold. And their goal is to try and raise enough funds to pay for day camp, which is for the little kids, the four to eight-year-olds uh, that we do at Balboa Park at the Girl Scout camp. And that is eye-opening in the fact that here's a group of kids who understands the role that these camps played in their lives. So they want to try and pay it forward to help fund the next generation of kids going through. We have our junior council actually oversees our social media. Um, they've come up with, they're actually, we've got them in the middle of uh, prepping some presentations that they'll be making to some, um, some large companies that um, we've been introduced to that can be kind of fun. And it's been great to just put a lot more of this onus on their shoulders because you start to see them really grow into it and thrive and become much more comfortable with taking on an idea. I mean, we've got half of them are designing their own t-shirts and badges that they want to sell as merchandise. And it's forced us as sort of the old guard to take a look at, you know, how are we doing things? Are we, are we being, um, you know, are, are we doing them justice by making sure that we're supporting them in any way that we can and making sure that we put them in a, in a position where they can really succeed and thrive. And it's just really exciting. I mean, that's, it's, I guess it's an unintended consequence of, of starting to put programs together like this, but now we're starting to see it come to fruition and it, it excites us every day because they are pushing the envelope on what they want to see done. And this is the next generation of leaders that are going to take over the world. So it's nice to know that they're already part of our system, looking at ways to, to really make a, a big difference in this world. And then when, when you say that the kids are looking for, the community to support them more like in what ways are they wanting us to support them more uh what what do you think how, how do they want that i think the biggest thing is the for i mean especially for this new generation you know they're really beholden to the social media mediums that allow people to get a lot of the word out there which for us you yeah. know that's not necessarily our strength i mean i know <laughs> i know <laughs> what the social mediums are yeah <laughs> I, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean I know how to use them effectively, but then when you're talking to the kids, the way they see it is like, look, you know, we're not going to write you a check for $25,000, but I tell you what, if you f help me find a way in which I can get this in front of all my friends and my family, I will put this in front of 2,500 people that I know right off the bat. And because it's something that I've been involved in that I've done, that's a big deal. And I think for most groups, I mean, most groups would, would be surprised of looking at that type of growth. And that's what this generation brings. They bring, um, they bring the ability to, to, to amplify the voice from mountaintops where usually you're especially on the grassroots level, you know, you're going, it's door to door trying to figure out, can you get someone in? Well, this youth generation looks at ways where they want to take their message and they want the players in the community to say, Hey, look, I want you to help me shoot this from the mountaintops and get us in front of 10,000 people that we don't know. Uh, get us in front of, you know, 2 million people that we know may have some connection to cancer as a whole. So for the junior council themselves, it's about brand awareness and it's about being in front of people who can really amplify that voice. Um, and when it comes to overall funding, they want to find ways to make sure that the programs that they've each attended day camp, sibling camp, resident oncology camp are funded so that it's never something where the community has to worry about, oh man, are we going to be able to do it this year? Yeah. Do we have X amount of resources to make sure we can do it? 
it's been something that's been such a staple of the community for so many years. We have to be able to get to that point where we're able to make sure that this is something that goes on in perpetuity um, so that regardless of, you know, if we find a magic pill tomorrow, I hope so. At the same time, we're still going to have kids who are dealing with a lot of the emotional trauma that uh, cancer brings. So we're going to need to be able to offer programs like this that allow them to thrive. Those kids that got mediums like uh, TikTok and Snapchat that I've never even opened. I don't even like I know what it is and I've seen those funny videos out there, but I, I I don't even want to. So it's good to have them as a resource to be able to use that because there's millions of users. Oh, yeah. They teach us so much. I mean, you know, they're the ones who got us on. They, they wanted us to set up a Twitch account. And, you know, here, here, here we are. We're like, I don't know what a Twitch account is. I mean, we're thinking, you know, old school Nintendo games. And like, no, no, no. This is great because a lot of us kids are we're big gamers. And sure enough, they came up with this idea that, like, we should start a, you know, we want to extend this idea that they had before that had been done at a couple of the places of this gamer club. They're like, you know, we can put gaming teams together and do games with a focus on raising awareness and resources for pediatric cancer. And there are things like that that we'd never think of. But the fact that they're so in tune with that is their day to day. Um, That's what they look at. And for us, it's kind of fun because it teaches us new stuff all the time. And it forces us to come out of our own yeah. sort of comfort zone. So we're all, all three of us are out doing TikToks for them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, on, on, on any given night, there's over a million viewers on Twitch just watching other people play games. So if you have like a little gaming group who are like, yeah, we're with Oak or whatever, that's that's incredible amount of audience i'm just blown away by the whole concept of twitch they really were the folks who really got us going on this idea of this user generated content i mean you know we had all these videos and stuff that we do before but the kids really took yeah. it to the next level yeah. they said, Look, <laughs> exactly. like, all these people they love if they know we're doing it and they know we're doing it for a cause they'll do some funny videos and stuff just to just to do it in support of this and you know for us we we never really thought about it within that sort of lens and, and viewpoint but sure enough i mean it makes perfect sense and and you're starting to see them really they're starting to shift what our overall strategies are for the organization and that's that's kind of cool it, it's fun to meet with them because we learn something new every day we're like all right well, let's let's figure out how <laughs> totally. we do that one <laughs> Who, who do we need to introduce ourselves yeah. to, make, to figure out how, how do we do this? So, you know, with, with all these new tools and, uh, and thinking outside of the box with reaching new audience, and especially with even with our listeners, is there uh, like concrete brand awareness or, or anything we, we can do to help this council out more right now, like as an immediate need? Immediate needs are number one. We want to see our, especially for our junior council, we want to see, we want to show them the power of social media. So we want an increase, uh, um, you know, sort of like a, a tenfold increase in Facebook and Instagram. Those are our two social media mediums that, that they really understand. And they, you know, the kids understand that Instagram is really sort of the medium that their generation will look at as well as TikTok. Um, and then Facebook is really more the parents, the parents and the community members. So we're doing active sort of ways of, of getting people to, to view that because that's where you'll see all the videos and pictures and you see the stories grow in the narratives. The other big thing is they want people to join um, since we're sort of a technically a startup nonprofit now we started this thing called the roots program, which basically is for the first year, um, you know, people it's tough times right now within COVID. Like you have a lot of different things that are going on, you know, people going out and asking for these massive asks. It's like, well, you, you know, 
not working. How am I going to do X, Y, Z? So, you know, the kids were really instrumental in saying, well, you know, what about, what about things like monthly giving, you know, uh, $10 a month, something where someone's essentially donating, you know, a coffee to us once a month, um, which for us, it's, it's much more in line with who we are as an organization, especially being grassroots and finding a way. So their goal is they want to help us get to, uh, I think it's 2,000 monthly givers uh, by the end of the year, and then by March of next year, up to 5,000. And when you look at it, and the, the the reasoning is smart, you know, their their idea is the fact that if we're if you're if we're able to hit that goal, essentially the the programs that they go to, their week long programs, are taken care of just based on the on the monthly giving sort of uh, numbers that come in. That's, and that's fascinating. That's the way it should be. That, that's something that then in overall sustainability means that their programs will be around for years to come without ever having to worry about, oh, we didn't get this grant or we didn't get this funding. They know that, okay, if we're able to secure this, and that means this can go on for as long as we're around when they take this program over and they take the organization over they can they can send you Robbie and Brian out to yeah. <laughs> out to do TikTok videos <laughs> exactly we'll, we'll just do nothing but make TikTok video and let them and take they over. probably should I worked with Alzheimer's Association so it really is a tiered approach and doing the monthly membership the Aloe Society is really important and being able to have that tiered approach because if you just rely on grants or you just rely on giving or big sponsorships you have to have it collaborate and as you said the kids know what is going to increase awareness they actually know it better than we do but we just need to provide them the tools and when we provide them the tools we need to then get out of their way and let them run with it (laughs) it's just like they are so ingenious and smart and I know Dennis Michael and I want to have you on later maybe we'll have a whole podcast series on all of us doing all of the things the kids are trying to make us do as adults to help them and it could be a whole podcast series and you nailed it like how can we best support your efforts and obviously the point of this podcast is what can we do what can our listeners do to best support you obviously you're setting up an annual uh, membership is that something that's on your website what does that look like on our website it's www.oncologyandkids.org click on the donate button and if you want to so seriously for the first uh, for the first year or so we're going to do this roots program so anyone who joins the monthly giving gets a badge like we'd usually do at camp so we'll send you a badge you're part of the roots and you know we're using a lot of things just these ideas that are significant to the to the name oncology and kids like to be part of the roots of an organization of a startup nonprofit that's really taking this next generation of kids and allowing them the ability to really thrive um, when it comes to, you know, a lot of the mental health aspects as it pertains to childhood cancer and what they're going to go on beyond. That's a big deal. And um, you'll find all of our information on that site. You'll find all of our social media handles as well. You know, we we're trying to make sure that we change the idea that we can't be this best kept secret in the area. It's time for us to make sure that we stand on our own two feet and that we're able to show people, Hey, this is why we exist. This is the help we need. This is how you can help. It's time, treasure, and talent. Which one? Pick one of those. What what can you help us with? And that's what we're going to take. My eyes are watering just because I love the roots. I think it's so beautiful. And I obviously come from a branding aspect and what I do. But again, like I said, we need to then help brand, but then give the kids the tools. So I love the roots. I think we all should be a part of the roots because I think it's a beautiful, beautiful ability to help kids start steering the direction of how we approach our processes as a whole. I think they can be role models 
within Oak. And I commend you. I commend your team. Thank your team. We want to be here for you. So thank you so much for all you do. And thank you for adapting to this changing environment and still pushing and thriving through it because I know it's not easy some days. So thank you so much for that. Here's a big thank you to the to the two of you because it takes individuals like yourselves to be able to put a highlight on a lot of the work that's going on out there. You know, there there are a lot of great things that are going on on a daily basis, but it takes people to really jump in and take the ownership of spotlighting those folks and those organizations and then coming up with specific calls to action for the community to actually get behind. Um, those things are the game changers. It's what, um, you know, we're here to do as we're trying to make the world a better place. So that it takes a lot of work. So we appreciate the time and the effort that you put into it, it means a lot. And so having you as a part of this Oak family is a big deal for us. So thank you again. I'm just picturing Dennis, Michael and I and you doing some dances at the next camp next summer. (laughs) We got got camp dances and songs out the wall too. So you don't have to worry about that. We'll have that covered. Dennis, Michael never knew he was going to be a TikToker, but. That's that's more more, more TikTok material. Well, it's been a pleasure, uh, Bernard, meeting you and learning about you. And uh, and again, it's oncologyandkids.org, facebook.com slash oncologyandkids. I just liked your page. I'm, I'm, I, I'm now a supporter. I'm going to see what I can do about that donate page. I hope our listeners do too. I'm, I'm very happy and pleased to learn about your organization, about you. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you, folks. You guys are great. Next week, we are honored to welcome Gil Stokes here a paradigm shifter whose audience feels that he's speaking to them individually, making a performance to hundreds seem more like an intimate dialogue between close friends. Charismatic and with an ability to adapt to any event, he quickly garners people's attention and doesn't let go until he says thank you. Please subscribe to Pile Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability. Tag and share with us your community programs, successes, and concerns so we can help spread the word. We'd also love to hear about your sustainability stories or to be a guest on this podcast in our Art of Respect series. Please visit cityindesign.com. For Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, Art of Respect series, this is Pili Aloha. And this is Dennis Michael. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.